Welcome to another episode of The Gospelpreneur, where we explore Bible secrets to prospering in wealth, health, relationships, and faith. Your host, Brother Andre, digs deeply into biblical science and practical applications while encouraging growth in all areas of our lives. So if you're ready to grow, let's enjoy this journey to biblical abundance. Here's Brother Andre. Perfect. All right. So tonight, again, welcome, everybody. It's good to see you, Angelique. Uh, Arlen, very good to see you. The Carter family, very good to see you as well. Damien, good to, good to see you. Galaxy A10, I don't know who you are, but you're here again. It's good to see you. Glenda Falcon, it's good to see you. Janet, Kevin, Kevin Mendez, you're here two times. Not sure if you're here in two different sections, but Happy Sabbath, my brother. We'll have to connect soon. Uh, Sister Rachel, all the way out there from Singapore. It's good to connect with you. Happy Sabbath. Uh, Roger, good to see you, my friend. And Sister Yvette, it's always good to see you. Happy Sabbath, everyone. We are in for a treat because every time we open the word of God, he is seeking to draw us nearer to himself. And I want to be nearer to him. And I, I tell you the truth, in the times in which we live, we can't live without him. And those of you who are watching on Facebook, happy Sabbath to you too. Uh, we are going to be delving into our study post haste or very quickly. And so let's bow our heads for prayer, ask God to be with us as we study the word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and mercy, Lord. Thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. And Lord, as we are have opened this opportunity of study, we want to open our hearts to receive your spirit. Father, I recognize first and foremost that there is nothing good in me to commend me to you. And there's nothing good in any of my friends that are listening tonight or whenever they listen, Lord, to commend them to you as well. But what we do come to you with is the scripture that says, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may have seen, obtain mercy and pardon in time of need. And Father, this is a time of need. I know it's a time of need for me and my home. And I know brothers, my brothers and sisters are in need of you even now. So we come to you not because of our own merits, but because of Jesus who loves us, because of you who sent your son. We pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his blood, amen. Amen. So welcome, everybody. We are ready to study. Uh, but before we study, I have a quiz for you. I would love to see your answers to these quizzes uh, that I have. So just be ready to throw it right in the chat. Question number one, and we're going from the first week. And again, repetition is the mother of learning. I consider the idea that we are constantly repeating the truths that we are hearing. It enables us to retain those truths. So from the first week, from the first lesson, we talked about four major ways that God communicates his love to us. What are those four major ways? Go ahead and throw it in the chat. What are those four major ways that God communicates his love, or we can see God's love to us? We have nature. That's right. That's number one. We have nature. How else do we see God's love for us? Scripture. When Damien's taking all the answers, he's trying to give y'all a chance 
but I think he's just going to take the cake tonight. So Damon has nature and scripture. Okay, somebody put all four. Glenda's like, I got this. Family, nature, the word, and the person of Jesus Christ. And we know, Brother Kevin put it very clearly, Jesus. We know Jesus is the perfect demonstration of the love of God. Very good, Carter family. Excellent, excellent. Jesus is the perfect demonstration of the love of God. So let, let's say you can't see it in the family. Let's say you're not really good at understanding the word, the scriptures themselves, or, or looking at nature. But you, I guarantee you, friends, if you look at the person of Jesus, you will find a perfect example of the person and character of God and his love demonstrated towards a fallen and broken society and broken people. So again, very good, very good. So let me ask you another question. This is chapter two or the lesson two that we went through. What do we need? Like, what, what is it that we need as humanity? There's only one thing we really need. That's, I'm curious. What do you think on our second lesson, we broke it down. It took a time to do it, but singularly, if there's one thing that we need or one person that we need, I don't want to give too many hints. What is it that we need? That's right. Jesus. Listen, friends, you and I innately are bad. You say, oh, oh, I'm not bad. Yes. See, the whole point of our study is to recognize our condition. We are in need of someone greater than us to save us as society, as humanity from ourselves. That's the truth. And most people don't want to realize that truth. Therefore, they create their own savior. They create their own ideas. They create their own philosophies. And they're not connected, as Sister Janice says, with Jesus. It's a necessity. It's not, a, it's not an option. It's not like, okay, maybe today I have devotion. Maybe I won't. No, no, no. When you recognize your need, there is nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. So our need speaks loudly. We are in need of Jesus. Why? Because innately, there is corruption. Innately, we are proud. Innately, we are self-sufficient. And that self-sufficiency will lead us to destruction. Okay, very good. Very good. So lesson three. We talked in lesson three about this idea of repentance. And I'm curious if you guys have the answer to this question. If you have the answer to this question, I figure you are great students, which I already know you are. So here's my question. Here's my question. Jesus is the source of repentance. Am I right? What is repentance? What is the equation for repentance. What is the equation for repentance? What is repentance? Sorrow for sin and a turning away from it. That's right. It's sorrow for sin and turning away from it. So it's not enough for a person to be sad that they did something wrong and then keep doing the same thing wrong. You follow? It's, I'm sorry, not for the consequence of sin itself, but for the act itself. I'm sorry that I did that act and I'm so disgusted with it. I no longer want to entertain it. 
Now, how do I come to a state? How, how do I come to an, a level where I actually began to disdain sin itself? What has to happen to us? Anybody? What has to happen to us? In order for us to hate sin. But some of us still like it. But if I said, hey, guys, let's go eat some tree bark. Nobody's want to do that. So what has to happen in our experience for us to hate sin? Okay, ask Jesus to take it away from us. We do not, we do not want it or need it. Okay, yes. There's a dying to self. Yes. Someone says renewed in spirit and in mind. Yes. Yes. These are all important. Anybody ever, uh, when anybody ever witnessed? or experienced abuse? You ever, you ever witnessed or experienced that? And when you did experience it, yes, you have to draw closer to Christ. When you did experience that abuse, did you say, yeah, I, you know, I want to repeat that behavior. I want that experience with my own child. I want to, I want to perpetuate <laughs> this negative behavior. No. No, no, most of us, when we see those type of things, we it's repulsive to us, right? That's not something that we want. But do you realize the first taste of understanding that we don't want it is to be repulsed by it? In order to be repulsed by it, right? In order to be repulsed by it, A, there's an experience, there's an experience, and there has to come a point of hatred. And the point of hatred, truly the point of hatred, truly the point of hatred comes when you see the results of it so for a moment like you'll say okay um you know stealing is bad right and then when stealing is bad you don't want it to happen it gets really bad if somebody steals from you i remember when i was little we lived at the one of these adventist meccas called andrews university my parents lived on in the maplewood apartments i don't know if you guys know anything about those we lived in the maplewood apartments on the second floor and i had gone to my teacher and I told her, hey, we're, my mom and dad, we're gonna be going out of town. Now I said that in earshot of some of my classmates and I couldn't have been more than, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 years old. And I told that in, in earshot of my uh, teacher and my friends were there, uh, earshot of my friends, but I was telling my teacher. We went away, came back, these little boys broke into our window went into our bedroom. At that time, we had a Tootsie Roll um, bank. I don't know if you guys know anything about that. We had a Tootsie Roll bank. And they stole our bank. And back in the day, I had a Voltron. I don't know if you guys know anything about Voltron. Voltron was like these little, anyway, I don't have to go into all that. It was a toy. And I had all five lions, and I could put them together and make Voltron. And that was, <laughs> it was my favorite toy. And these guys broke into my house and stole my Voltron. I was, I was totally, totally upset. <laughs> I was totally not happy about that. I felt violated. Uh, something like that happened another time we were in New Jersey. My wife, my wife and I and a few friends were doing an evangelistic meeting. And we came out of that meeting. I wasn't preaching. I was more of the Bible worker. And we came out of the meeting and I went to the place where my car was. And as I was looking for my car, I couldn't find my car. It was just gone. And I was, just, I was in so much shock. I was like, maybe I parked somewhere else. So I walked further up 
No car came back. I was like, my car was right here and my car is gone. I was violated. Now at that point, friends, my theory of thou shalt not steal is different now because stealing has hit me in a certain way. So I want, I want stealing eliminated from the experience of anybody on planet earth. Do you follow what I'm saying? Like that experience makes you say, I don't want that anymore. And that goes for any other bad thing that happens in the world. When it touches you, it touches you different. But even still, when it touches you, the gravity of it is still not felt or understood until you see Calvary. This is my point. Now, when you see Calvary, you see a God on a tree for sins he did not commit. And he's dying, not because of any physical activity, but he's dying for sin itself. And when you see a God dying, you must say to yourself, what is sin that causes such death, such pain, and such sorrow? Does that make sense? Because the gravity of sin is not fully known until you see Calvary. Not that it just touches you and you don't like it. But then when you see Calvary and you see the cost of it, you say, you know what? I'd rather not deal in that space with sin. Therefore, it's in that experience that repentance is given. No longer is it something that you try to conjure. You can't conjure repentance. Repentance, as we studied, is a gift of God. So that was the third lesson. And the fourth lesson we went through had to do with confession. We are confessing. We had to tell the truth. We have to tell the truth. And when we tell the truth, we have to be detailed. We can't be Oh, I'm sorry that the you know that you're in pain. No, 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 that's not confession. Confession is specific. If you hurt someone, you say exactly how you hurt them. It helps you understand that this is not something that you should be doing, and it helps them understand that you understand that you did something wrong. So confession becomes specific, it becomes open, it becomes transparent, and in doing so, God can do a cleansing in the heart and minds of men and women. All right, so that was number four. So tonight, tonight, we need to get to tonight. And by God's grace, we will get to tonight. And I'm going to go ahead and share. So learning to love, this is where we're at tonight. Learning to love. Okay, yes, here it is. Let me move this here. Learning to love. So giving yourself to God, that's our study tonight, is giving yourself to God. Now, tonight's going to be a hard study. Now, when I say a hard study, it's, it was a hard study for me uh, because of the practicality of the, real, of the reality of what it really means to give yourself to God. And if you don't mind, let's just pray one more time. I really need special help tonight, and I know that we as his children need guidance. Father in heaven, as we continue to study, as we open the word, as we've finished our review, we ask, Lord, for your spirit to truly open our understanding, bring conviction to our hearts and to our minds, that no longer we be theoretical believers, but true believers in every aspect. It is a wrestling match, Father, but we want you to win, and we want to win with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his blood. Amen. All right. So giving yourself to God. This is what we're going to be delving into this evening. Now, 
the first question I want to ask you, can God be found? <laughs> can God be found? I, I want you to open your Bible, open your Bible to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, Jeremiah 29, and we are looking at verse number, let me get rid of that timer, Jeremiah 29, and we're looking at verse number 13, and notice what the Bible says. And listen carefully, for I know we've read this passage many times, but we have not applied as we should. Jeremiah 29 and verse 13 says, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Let me read it again. It says, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. So my friends, I know you are all intelligent and you have studied with me over time and you do your own deep study. What is necessary in order to seek and find God? Go ahead and type it in the chat. Based on the verse that we just read, what is necessary to seek and find God? What is necessary? What does it say? Jeremiah 29, 13. What is necessary? What's the condition? That's right. That's right. That's right. Do it with all your heart. All your heart, friends. Ye shall seek me and find me. Now, there are many people that seek God, but don't find him. There are many people that seek God and don't find him. Why are they seeking God and not finding him? Because they're not searching for him with all their heart. Please. This is like, if I don't say anything else, if your computer breaks down after this, if the stream stops right now, please understand that your religious experience will simply be religiosity as long as you have heartedly seek God. Please. Your religious experience will simply be religious activity and, nor, and uh, a culturalism unless you seek God with everything that you have. Every intensity, every intention, every emotion, you must seek with him with everything that you could possibly possess. And when you do this, he says, you, he will be found of you and found of me. So can God be found? Yes. Do I have to travel to Timbuktu to find him? No. Do I need to go to a foreign land to find Jesus? No. But what must I do? I must seek him with everything I have. No holding back, nothing between. And I'm going to push, I'm going to fight until I find him, my friend. It's interesting, though. He's always there. It's not like he's five, five million miles away or that he's sitting on the throne in heaven and he cannot be found. It's more so we have so much clutter in the way. We have so much junk in the way. We cannot 
enter in to this experience with God. So that's my prayer. That's my encouragement. Seek him with everything you have. No half-hearted Christian living. So let's, let's look at this. Let's talk about why. Ephesians, go to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. What is our condition? Why, why is it necessary that we seek him with everything that we have? Now, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, and you and you have he quickened. What does that mean? What, what, what's that word quicken mean? The word quicken means made alive. And you have he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, friends, listen to what it just said. He has made them alive which were dead. Now, dead is like the ultimate end of life, right? There is no life if someone is dead. You were dead in trespasses and sin. I want to give hope to you tonight, my friends. No matter how dark your situation may be, no matter how less spiritual you may think you are, God is able to bring you from death into life. Again, I read, and you have he quickened, meaning he's made alive, he's resurrected from the dead, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Go with me, go with me to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 1. God is so good. Isaiah chapter 1, and we're looking at verse number 5. Isaiah chapter 1, in verse 5, the Bible reads, Why should ye be stricken anymore? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick, and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have, no, they have not been closed, neither bound up, nor mollified with ointment. Now imagine, imagine yourself right now, spiritually speaking, having all sorts of canker sores on your body. Imagine you're, you're, you have all this open wounds on your flesh. In a spiritual sense, this is how we are before we know Jesus. This is our condition before the master healer has come and redeemed us from the bondage of sin. And just because we're in that condition literally means that you are drawing God to you simply by being in that condition. He's not turned off because you're in that condition. He's not turning his back on you because you've done wrong. He literally is in the business of raising the dead and healing the brokenhearted and bringing peace of mind to those who are in rebellion, my friends. This is his objective, his purpose in his intercession, and he is seeking to redeem and restore us back to his intentionality from the beginning of time. But Let's go a little bit further. Again, if you seek him, you will find him if you search for him with all your heart. But why must we search for him? Our condition is such that only he can deliver us. A little bit further. Second Timothy, you go there very quickly. Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Chapter two. And we're going to begin reading. 
them in First Timothy. Second Timothy chapter two, I wanna read verse 26. All right, let's go here. The Bible says, Second Timothy chapter two and verse 26, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, mm. who have taken captive by him at his will. Well, that's interesting. Pay attention to this idea. The Bible is indicating that Satan has set up snares. I should have had a, 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 a picture of a snare. A snare is a trap. And the, the idea is that he sets traps for all of us. I'm, it wasn't yesterday. It was yesterday, actually, yesterday. Yesterday, I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You wake up and you're like, yo, this is going to be the best day ever. I'm, I'm going to knock out everything I'm supposed to knock out. I've got to hit my goals and execute at a high level. Nobody's going to knock me down. And I was on a roll. I mean, it was so good. I had even talked to the IRS and we were having a great conversation. Who has great conversations with the IRS? I do. I did. It was a great conversation. And we had a great conversation and we were, I was done with them and I got a phone call and that phone call just, I mean, it came out of left field. I never had nobody talk to me that way. It was, it was, it was horrible. But the horrible part wasn't that they talked to me that way. You know, the horrible part was that I lost my cool. I lost control. I gave them a little bit too much of me. And I was like, man, like, Ah, I was so frustrated. I, I, I felt I had failed in my representation of what I wanted to present. And I, I went back to God. I said, God, we got to help me. And I, we retracted. I re revamped. I was like, okay, how are we not going to allow that to happen again? I'm not going to let that happen to me again. I'm not going to let that person into my experience again. We're going to make sure that I'm not trapped and ensnared. See, the devil has snares for you, my friend. It could be a conversation with somebody. It could be uh, some, some type of temptation that he has you going. It doesn't matter. We must be careful of snares. And we, by nature, by nature, are drawn to the snares of the devil. Anybody ever laid mousetrap before? What do you, I want to see what you guys say. What do you put on your mousetrap for, to catch your mice? What do you do? I'm curious. I have a, my trap is a killer trap. You know, it's one of those, they call it jaws, right? So I'm not gonna tell you what I put on mine. Tell you, okay, somebody said peanut butter. Yep, mm-hmm. Peanut butter gets them every time. Peanut butter, okay, we got everybody's on peanut butter. Oh, put, they put bread. Okay, that's, never heard of that one. But I know they eat bread. They've definitely chewed it into a bag or two. Strong smelling meat. Okay, okay. So we got peanut butter, we got bread, strong smelling meat. Now, I want you to think about what you're doing. Now, you set the trap. You are a gillion times, a jillion times more intelligent than that mouse. You set the trap with something that you know they like. Pay attention to what I'm saying to you. You know that they like it. You set it properly. You make sure that it's perfectly balanced. That when they put their head there, hi-ya, got them. They're dead, right? You, you said <laughs> You set that thing up. Now, every once in a while, I get a little, I get a super smart mouse, right? That, that little guy, he knows how to nibble just enough not to get trapped that one, one or two times. Just enough so he doesn't get trapped that one or two times. But he builds confidence over time. He's thinking that he's not seen or that he's not going to get trapped. But because I am a master catcher of mice, that little guy ends up getting caught. If he don't get caught in that trap, he gets caught in this other one. 
Now think about what I just said to you. The devil has been around for at least 6,000 years, maybe more. And that old scoundrel knows how to set traps. What trap, what kind of food do you like? Hmm. I'm not talking about literal food, even though that could be one of them. I'm talking about what's the bait for you? That you are kind of tippy-toeing, tippy-toeing, tippy-toeing. You're tippy-toeing around the trap. He ain't got you the first time. He ain't got you the second time. You still feel spiritual today. And then once the trap is set, boom, you're done. He got you. See, that's what the scripture is talking about. It's talking about the snare. It's talking about the trap. Be careful. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, he goes about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That's why we need Jesus. Because oh, oh, even though the devil's been around 6,000, God's been around for eternity, he knows how to navigate these, this old rotten scoundrel, my friends. We need him. We need the Lord. We need Jesus. Our condition is such. Now I want to read this to you. I want you to pay attention to it and listen carefully. This is from the book Steps to Christ, page 43, paragraph 3. And I think this is one of the most profound quotations I've read ever in any book outside of the scriptures. It says, the warfare against self is the greatest battle that was ever fought. The yielding of self, surrendering all, surrendering how much, my friends? All. Surrendering all to the will of God requires a struggle. Please lock this into your thought processes. You and I are not going to be Christians without a struggle. You and I are not going to make it into heaven without a struggle. Struggle is required. Fight is required. War is required. And who is it required with? Yourself. The yielding of self, surrendering all to, to the will of God requires a struggle, but the soul must submit to God before it can be renewed in holiness. Are you getting it? I want to be renewed in holiness. I want to be clean and pure. I want to reflect Jesus in all that I say, think, and do. But in order to do that, I must submit. And submission is nearly impossible for us because we have such great high uh, valuation of ourselves outside of God. <laughs> we do. It requires a struggle, a fight. When's the last time you had a fight with yourself? When's the last time you struggled to the point where he said, I will not let go until you bless me, Father? That's the type of fight we're talking about. That's the type of struggle I'm speaking about. It's the struggle with self. I'm not talking about the struggle with your spouse, your husband, your wife. I'm not talking about the struggle with your children, your son or your daughter. I'm not talking about the struggle with your in-laws or your outlaws. I'm talking about the struggle with yourself where you weep and you cry and you are angered and you're frustrated to make sure that self has surrendered to God. And we know last week we talked about how people, you know, they beat themselves with whips and, and, and cords and all sorts of things in order to submit self. Nope. 
That's not what we do in our fight. Our submission is on our knees before the Most High. Our submission is to cry out to God as the flesh cries out for the world. Our submission is to one that is greater than ourselves and not we and naturally of ourselves. So the greatest struggle, the greatest warfare that has ever been fought. Now think about this. Now, you got to put these things in context. The greatest struggle that's ever been fought is the battle against self. You're saying it's not World War II, World War I. It's not Vietnam War. It's not the great wars of that, that, that were in the Holy Land. The greatest battle that was ever fought is the battle against your own self. You mad at everybody else. Handle yourself. The question is, are you willing or unwilling? Now watch this, guys. Watch this. I don't want to read the quote over there yet, but I want you to see that picture up top. You see that picture up top? You see the, see the guy with the, the, the locked arm? Got the guy about to have him in submission? Let me tell you something. God does not function like the top picture. See that top picture? God not going to put you in a full Nelson arm brace to, in order to make you be good. God, God's not going to do that to you. God's not going to force you to pray and force you to have Bible study. God's not angry and mad. He's going to throw lightning down because you didn't pray today. No, that's not how he works, friends. The question is, are you willing or unwilling to submit to him? Now, I know in this world, men want women to submit to, to them, right? And us men, we, we like to be in charge and in control. Some of us don't like to be in charge and in control. I mean, there's different types of men. I'm not going to say every man's the same. But the biblical concept is women submit to, to the men. But in this world, submission to men could be dangerous because men aren't really that kind that time. We often are stubborn and, and bald-headed. You know what I'm saying? Like, we, we don't really listen well. We, we have our stubborn ways about us. We, we, we think we're doing good, but at the same time, we're causing destruction. I, I'm a man. I can speak for the industry guards. <laughs> How do you submit to God? What must take place? I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18 very quickly. Isaiah chapter 1 in verse 18. Watch. Watch. Because what God does, he does not put you in an arm brace or full Nelson. He doesn't try to DDT you into submission. <laughs> what he does is he invites Isaiah. I mean, Isaiah. Yes. Isaiah chapter 1. And I'm going to begin reading at verse number 18 watch what it says come now let us reason together said the lord wait a second the most high doesn't just give a command and we just have to obey what he says nope come now let us reason together said the lord though your sins be as scarlet they shall be as white as snow though they be red like crimson they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. Interesting. He's not forcing, no. But he's what he wants to do is protect you against the natural results of the rejection of him. He doesn't have to bring lightning from heaven for you to get that. Lightning from heaven would be a, what you what would you say? Like a like a warning. Because there's greater destruction. It's almost like a little child who goes to put her hand up against the stove. And as she puts her hand against the stove, you say, you, you slap the hand. 
you slap the hand. Now, the slapping of the hand is to, to deter her from a greater danger. The slapping of the hand is not a punishment per se, even though it is a punishment. It's like, don't do that. It's not a, it's not a good thing to do. You can tell I got smacked a couple times, right? Don't do that. Put your hand down. But some of us are so stubborn, even though that's, that hand smack is there, we say, you know what? I don't know what the big deal is. The little hand smack not doing nothing for me. Boom, put the hand on the stove. And then the baby start crying. And then the parent be like, I told you. You could have said I told you, but the parent normally doesn't do that. Just using nice mom and dad rules and kiss a little boo-boo and puts a little ointment on it and makes it feel good. In that relationship right there, that's the love of God being demonstrated in a very family way, right? So God does not put you in a full Nelson. He gives you a little warning to say, hey, if you go further, it's probably going to be worse. And then you get to the worst. He's like, look, I got you still. And look at God. That's, that's not me, man. That's God. God does that. But let's go a little further with this. Look at what it says. God does not force the will of his creatures. He cannot accept a homage that is not willingly and intelligently given. What does it say? Willingly and intelligently. They both have to be there. You have to be willing and you need to be intelligent in your willingness. A mere forced submission would prevent all real development of mind and character. That's right, brother. Because that's, that's right. It, will, it, it would prevent all real development of mind or character. It would make man a mere automaton. That's interesting. You know what an automaton is? It means a robot. God said it, I will do it. I don't know what I, he just told me and I'm going to follow his instructions. That's the problem, folks. I'm gonna tell you, that's a problem. That's a problem with folks that read Spirit of Prophecy, folks that read the Bible, they read it. It's like God said to do it. They don't have any understanding of what God said to do. And they're gonna go out there and try to do what God says to do without understanding. God says you must do it willingly and intelligently. You should understand. A mere force submission would prevent all real development of mind or character. It would make man a mere automaton. Such is not the purpose of the creator. Interesting. He desires that man, that's me and you, the crowning work of his creative power, shall reach the highest possible development. Well, that's interesting. In order to reach the high, highest possible development, based on the quotation, there is a necessity of free will and intelligence to go along with that. You, you follow. I remember, I'll never forget this. I was doing Bible work in a, I forget the town, but I was doing Bible work by myself. And I was doing Bible work by myself. I was pretty lonely. At that time, I was not married. And I was driving down the road. And as I'm driving down the road, I was feeling super lonely. And a couple of weeks before, I had recorded a tape for Sabbath school to use it as, as an illustration. And remember, I said tape. This is before CDs, right? So we had the tape and the cassette player in the, in the, in the car. <laughs> Times have changed. So I'm in the car, feeling lonely, and I pull out the cassette tape and I put it in the cassette player. And it said, in my voice, it was my voice on this cassette. I couldn't see what it said because I was driving in the dark. I was pulling any random tape. I put it in there, and the voice on the tape said, Andre, I love you. 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 And I just started dying. I was in the car, just, I was. It was so funny to me because I had used that same illustration in a class to illustrate that God didn't want to make automatons. 
And I said, what if God programmed everyone to say that they love him? And if he programmed them to say he loves them and they had no choice, then it wouldn't really be love, right? But I have this tape in here and I'm feeling lonely and I hear my own voice say back to me, I love you, Andre. I just, it was, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. But just think about it. God could have just programmed us. But programmed love is not love. Love must choose. It must be intelligent and it cannot be forced. This is why I always say to people, look, I said this from when I was little and I'll say it even now as I'm a grown up. If you threaten me with hell, it don't move me. Hell does not move me. Like if God made me and he wants to put me in hell, that's his choice. <laughs> I'm not going to serve God because I'm afraid of going to hell. It's not going to be the case. If I, if I, if I, and as I serve God, it will be because I love him. And if I don't know how to love him, I ask him, father, how do I love? Show me how to love. And in his presence, in understanding him, showing how he operates, seeing what he does, love is awakened by beholding him. You can't force yourself to love God. It's impossible. You can't do it. And if you find yourself not loving him, you just say, I don't love you, father. Show me how. And then he shows you, but there's no need to fake it. Somebody says, fake it till you make it. No, no, I don't believe in that. That would be a lie. What you do is fight. Y'all heard me. You don't fake it. You fight. You fight. I don't want to be lost. I don't want to not love God. Show me how to love you, Father. And you fight. You fight, my friend. Use your fighting for a good reason. If you use your anger for a good reason, use your anger to hate sin. Hate the things that sin has done. Hate the things that sin, ha the, the pain that sin has brought into this world. Hate that. Don't hate each other. You do this. You follow in these steps. You're going to have an experience that is supernatural and powerful. And you're going to one day, you're going to say, man, I didn't know it could be like this. I didn't know that I could love the things that God wants me to love like this. You'll see. We're going to go a bit further. Watch this. So you, you guys see this picture so many times online. I, I know you have. Uh, this picture with uh, going to this little girl. Jesus says, just trust me. I have better for you. And she's like, but I love this. This little teddy bear right here. And Jesus has something special behind his back. <laughs> he has something bigger and better. My friends, let me ask you a question. What is it in this world that has you so loyal to it? What, what, what sin, and I say sin, what thing, what pleasure, what joy in this world do you love more than God? Because Judas loved Jesus too, but he just loved money more than he loved Jesus. So what is it in this world that you love and that draws your heart away from God? Is it wealth? Is it reputation of worldly honor? Is it the love of selfish ease or freedom from responsibility? You just want to sit on a beach and drink pina coladas for the rest of your life. <laughs> what is it? that you think you love more and that you think by God taking it away from you, you're somehow missing out. You know, I had to ask myself that question. I really did. I had to ask myself the question, what is it that 
that's in this present world that I think I don't want to give up because I'll be unhappy without it. But I know God is asking me to, to give to him and not and, and understanding the person and character of God. If he's asking me to give it up, that means he has something better. But you say, hey, this program is so enjoyable to me. I don't want to give it up just yet. God says, give it to me. I have something better. Oh, I this food, I enjoy this particular thing. And again, I'm not trying to be specific. This thing. You're like, I just want to hold on to it for a while more. And God says, I have something better. You and I cannot, cannot half-heartedly be in right relation with God. It must be all or nothing. Listen to me. It's all or nothing with him. And when it's all or nothing, please understand his all is everything. All of heaven is given in that one gift. Peace that passes understanding is in the person of Christ. It's all or it's nothing. And see, I'll read this here. Except to Christ, page 44 says, we cannot be half the Lord's and half the world's. We are not God's children unless we are such entirely all, my friends. Well, if I give them all, it's going to be boring being a Christian. Is it? It's going to be boring. It's going to, I have to sacrifice. You see, I have to sacrifice. That in and of itself, that verbalization of that indicates that you don't understand the relationship you have with God. You haven't spent enough time with him because what happens is even that feeling, you shouldn't, and don't feel bad that you have that feeling. Understand that feeling is a reality that you are not fully converted. That's all that is. It's that self warring against the spirit. And when that warfare is going on, it's okay. Let that fight be. Let that reality come. Hey, I don't like going to the nursing home. They always invite me at church to go to the nursing home. I don't want to go. <laughs> it's okay. Admit it. No, I don't want to go feed the homeless. No, I don't. No, I do not want to go give Bible studies. No, I don't want to sing. No, no, I don't. No, I don't want to be healthy today. No, I don't. Now, when you're in that state, it's not a safe place to be, but it is an awareness that now you can go to God with reality and say, Father, I don't like this. And then that's when he, in, in, in your presence, there is a sign. I'm going to give you the science in a moment. I'm going to give you the science because oftentimes we cover up that feeling, right, and we go do, I'm not understanding that if it's not done in love, it's not acceptable to the most high. Did y'all hear what I said? Just because you overcame the feeling and did it anyway doesn't mean you did it in the right spirit. It's not the action itself that God is looking for. It is the heart rendered to him that he's looking for. I know that oftentimes as I've pushed through that feeling, because feelings are not truth, as I push through that feeling and says, I'm going to honor God, God often then gives me a feeling afterwards of man, man, what was I, what was I angry about anyway? Man, this whole nursing home turned to church today. I've had, we've had that happen over and over and over. Man, I don't want to go knock on doors. Boom, start knocking on doors. Man, this is amazing. And it's joyful. The heart must submit to God. But you must be honest that you are not in submission when you're not in submission. Don't play like you are. 
Be truthful. God can handle it. God can handle it. I'm telling you, you can handle it. God has something better for you. He has something better for me. Let's go a little bit further. Let's go to Galatians. Ooh, I like this. Let's go to Galatians. Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. And I cannot believe we've almost been here an hour. Can you, man, where does the time go? What is happening? Galatians chapter 2. Here we go. I'm going to start reading verse number 1. Pay close attention. Galatians, oh, verse number 15. Galatians chapter 2. Beginning at verse 15, it says, who, so we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing, watch this, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. What does that mean, justified? In other words, a man is not made right by doing right things. Please, if you were to translate, that's what I just, I just translated for you. Man is not made right. He is not justified by doing right things that's the works of the law but by the faith of jesus by the faith of who jesus so a man is made right by faith in someone bigger than himself that's how i'm made right i'm not made right by doing right things no i am made right by jesus and then i do right things then it goes on even we have believed in jesus christ that we might be justified by the faith of Jesus, by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be made right or justified. I'm saying this to you because when we're talking about consecration and dedication, please don't think that the first thing you have to do is do something, like physically do something. The first step is submission to Christ. You'll see. I'll make it even more plain before we're done. It says, verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. So if I build the things I destroyed, meaning if I gave it to Christ, and then I go back and do the same thing again. I've destroyed what Christ has already worked in me, right? Watch this. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with who, my friends? With Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth where? He lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Please lock this in your mind. You see the, 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 the hardship here, the hardship here is that Christians try to live righteous lives without Christ within. And when Christians try to live righteous lives without Christ within, it becomes slavery to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Christianity is a galling yoke without Christ. You have to have Christ. He must be crucified. He must live within. He must work out his righteousness within you. You can't work out that thing by yourself. So stop doing that. This is why, my friends, when we have, this is why when we observe during the crisis, the brothers and sisters are arguing with each other. The spirit of Christ is not amongst us. Why is the spirit of Christ not amongst us? 
because we don't understand prophecy. We don't understand the spirit of Christ. Therefore, we're arguing with the spirit of the dragon. We're arguing with the spirit of the dragon about dragon behavior. <laughs> I'm laughing, but I'm laughing because I want to cry. You follow? We're using the spirit of the dragon, force, manipulation, argumentation. We're using that spirit to argue righteousness. And that's not how Christ did it, my friends. That's not how he did it. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Now watch what, what he says. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul makes this personal. He said, he, he didn't say who loved us and gave himself for us. My man said, who loved me and gave himself for me. Then he says these words, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Oh, my friends, the, 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 the law of God is a teacher, a schoolmaster, as later on in the book of Galatians says. It's there to remind us of what righteousness is, but it doesn't help us be righteous. It just tells us what it is. And those of us who read the letter of the law without the spirit indwelling inside are then using the law as a battery ram against ourselves and against our fellow believers. It's a true story. Oh, I love this. I love this. Let's go a little bit further with this. Galatians chapter three, verse one says, oh, foolish Galatians who have bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been in evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only what I learn of you. Listen to what he says. This only what I learn of you. Receive ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Paul is dropping some science here, my friends. How do you receive the spirit? By faith. Well, faith cometh by Hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. I, I don't know if I've said this to you guys already, but I'm always sharing little things about my experience with the Lord. But one night, it was, I don't know, it was past last week, this week, I can't remember which week it was. I think it was last week. One night, I couldn't sleep. Like, I could not sleep. My mind was agitated, agitated. I was going through a thing, man. I was agitated. It was 12 o'clock at night, and I'm like, okay, it's time to sleep. Then it's one o'clock couldn't go to sleep, agitated, 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 two o'clock in the morning, agitated, 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 three o'clock in the morning, I could not sleep, and the enemy was pressing in, trying to cause me great distress, and I said, I'm talking to God now, I'm talking to God in my agitation, but I'm, it's just weird, and as I'm going through this process, the spirit said, read, I said, read, it's three o'clock in the morning, then I'm like, I'm already up, I might as well read, and as I read, friends, I tell you the truth, as I read, the agitation that was in my mind began to stabilize. It was like, I'm reading the word and my mind, it was stopped it. It was just like, it focused and it was like peaceful. And then I put the Bible down and I went to sleep. It was amazing. <laughs> the, the word of God, stabilize my brain cells. The word of God simplified my life. Tell me something. Let, let me ask you a question. When you're going through your stress and you're going through your troubles, I know for me, I end up having conversations with myself. 
Like, and, and it's almost like I, it's conversation with myself, but it's, it's with the person I'm mad at, but they're not in the room. You guys probably think I'm crazy for this, but it happened. I'm like, yo, if you do that again to me, man, and I'm talking to my to them because I'm not wanting to talk to them. I want, but I'm having this conversation with nobody there. <laughs> you guys are gonna think I'm crazy when I'm done, but it's fine. I know all of us are a little crazy. So there's no one there. I'm having this conversation. And it's never resolved. You know why? Because the person is really not there and they're not really getting your point anyway. You know what I mean? So here I'm in this state of agitation and I go to God and the word of God settles me. It just settles my mind. It brings all my thoughts into a space. And I was like, why is it that when we feel like this, we don't run to God and his word? We don't. We do not run to God and his word normally. And it's a trick by the devil. He does that on purpose to make us feel like we are either unworthy or it's not time to read it, or you just don't want to read. That is normal, my friends, because we are sinners. We are in rebellion. But I tell you what, I tell you what, when you feel like that, that is a good indicator. Run to Jesus. You hear me? Just run to him. Just say, I don't want to read. Say it out loud. Father, I don't want to read. Acknowledge the reality, friends. I don't want to read. And you say, Father, but I need to read. Help. Oh, I'm about to give you some science, friends. I'm not even, I'm not even at the crux of this, this, this study yet. I'm about to give you some science. I did give you a little bit in Galatians chapter 220. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, right? But there's a little bit more. There's a little bit more to this. So we read Galatians chapter three. Let me keep reading. I want to read all the way to verse number nine. It says, uh, it says, uh, verse three, O ye so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? The answer is no, you can't be made perfect by the flesh. And then it says, have ye suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministereth to you the spirit work of miracles among you. Doth he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Okay. In other words, when someone is working under the unction and spirit of God, it is not simply by the letter of what I read that transformation takes place. It's by the spirit of God that interprets what the letter says that transformation takes place, right? And as I have faith in what the word says, the word has the ability to create in me what's not there. The word begins to be manifest in my experience. The word becomes flesh by faith. But wait, there's a tad bit more. It says, even as Abraham believed God and it was counted, accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So here's the trick that the devil tries to get you and me to do. We talked about this last week. I'll say it again today. What he tries to get us to do is when we find ourselves doing wrong, the first thing we want to do is start doing some type of righteous behavior. But that is not what we are to do. When we find ourselves doing wrong, we confess the reality of our wrong. We spend time in the presence of the Most High to see, compare that wrong to what happened on Calvary, 
so that God can give us the gift of repentance to turn from it in its entirety. Once we are in that state of turning from it in its entirety, then heaven gives us instruction, and then we walk in that instruction. But if you bypass repentance, if you bypass confession, and you simply go and you read the book and says, okay, I'm only supposed to eat vegetarian, and you start eating vegetarian, but you have never repented, you are still in your sin. And you will lose your temper again. And you will cuss, and you will swear internally, even though outside you speak like a nice religious dude or do that. <laughs> Huh? There are steps in this process of learning to love God. And notice in that process of learning to love God, do you know this works in relationships too? You can't just be mean to your wife or your husband and then not say anything, emotions die down, you never deal with anything, and then you just go and live your life and hope that you don't get another argument. The problem still exists. You're not saying anything. You're not talking about it. You had an argument. You kind of came back and said, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How you doing? Okay. All emotions are gone, but the problem still exists. Am I right? I have to be right. I know I'm right. I don't have to be right. I know I'm right. We cover up our brokenness when we feel better by all these right behavior activities and the undergirding issues still there. We have to deal with the root of the problem. That's why John the Baptist says, take the ax and strike at the root. This is relational with each other, but before you get to dealing with people, you gotta deal with God. Before you can learn how to forgive others, you gotta learn how to accept forgiveness from God. Let's go further. Let's go further. Listen to this. Excuse me. When Christ, when, Christ, when Christ dwells in the heart, the soul will be so filled with his love, with the joy of communion with him, that it will cleave to him. And in the contemplation of him, self will be forgotten. Now, friends, I'm reading something to you that happens to a converted person. I'm not reading something to you that is happening to someone that's trying to be converted. This is something that happens to someone that is in a converted state, that they have joy in communion. Their hearts are filled with love. They are contemplating him so much so that they forget about self. Love to Christ will be the spring of action. What does that mean, spring? That means it's the source of. It is love for God that will be the source of action, not simply I read it and I'm going to do it. I hope, I hope you're getting it. I, I hope you're understanding what I'm saying. Love to Christ will bring the spring of action. Those who feel the constraining love of God do not ask how little may be done to meet the requirements of God. They don't. They don't. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's like, what time is sunset? 4.59. I remember, <laughs> yo, yo, yo. I'll never forget this. So back in the day, I used to play at our church. We used to have a, a church basketball team. And I was a teenager at the time. And we would travel 
like to churches for AYs because we would have to do AY before we play basketball. You know, they're trying to keep the children in church or whatnot. But we would wear our jerseys underneath our church clothes, right? We, we would be ready. We were, we were crazy. What time is sunset? Uh, 7, 7, 7 15. What time's the game? 7 30. Listen, we be on our watches counting down sunset. Anybody else? Did anybody else do that? I don't know if it was for basketball, but did anybody else count down sunset? 714. 715. Okay, let's go party time. Let's go play some hoops. Like we we count the we count the time. Like we we man, we didn't understand. I didn't understand. We're 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 by the letter. We're by the letter of the law. And in that in that experience, I, we're not saved people. We need God's spirit, friends. It cannot be like that. Oh, they said we can only eat such and such food. Now, some folks, man, I, I you know, this stresses me out on the other side of this thing. Because some folks, we're so rigid with this thing. Like, we're so rigid with it. And as we're very, very rigid with the letter of what it says, we cut people to shreds. Now, somebody's going to say, Andre, he's become a liberal. Let me, let, let me tell you something off top. First of all, just so everybody knows, Andre has made up his own class of terminology for himself. I am neither a conservative or a liberal, okay? I'm a liberservative. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I made it up, okay? I'm a liberservative. I'm liberal in my love <laughs> by God's grace. And I'm conservative in my value system, right? But my love is, yo, I will love you. I'll love, I love, I'll try to love any person I possibly can. But we have to be careful when we're talking about the religious experience of others because we're not all in the same place. God has us all on a unique journey. And as he's on, as we're on this journey, you and I must be careful with the tender-hearted persons. We're not all in the same place. So ideally, my actions should spring from a place of love, not from fear of destruction, and not for gain of being able to live forever and sit on a cloud. It must be because I love the person of Christ. And if you don't love the person of Christ, it's okay. He ain't going to force you to love him. But I guarantee if you spend more time with him, less time with everybody that's religious, you're going to find yourself in love with him. Mm. I hope you're getting it. I hope you're getting it. It says they do not ask for the lowest standard, but aim at the perfect conformity to the will of their creator. They don't want the lowest, they want the, they want the highest standard. What is, the high, what is it that I can do for him to show my deep gratitude and great love? With earnest desire, they yield all and manifest an interest proportionate to the value of the object which they seek. Here, here do you see what she, I love how she writes. Oh, listen, listen, this, this is why the devil hates these writings, man, because they're so beautiful. Let me read it again. 
with earnest desire, they yield all and manifest an interest proportionate to the value of the object which they seek. Now, if you only understand the object, if you only understand the object to be worth this much, then that's how much energy you're gonna put into it. But if you understand the value of the object to be this much, then you're gonna put all your effort into it because you understand the value. It's kind of like, you know, the story where we read where the man goes and he's digging in the field and he comes across this great uh, uh, pearl of great price. And he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy the whole field because of the value of the pearl. Now, if somebody else knew that that pearl was there, they probably would never sold him the field. But because he understood the value that was in that field, he sold everything in order to gain what he would normally not be able to have. Clearly, the pearl was greater than the value of the field itself. He got a bargain. <laughs> he got a bargain, friends. A profession of Christ without this deep love. This is what I've been saying the whole night. This is what I've been saying the whole night. Please, if you sleep right now, wake up. If you doze off for a second, if you happen to be browsing somewhere else, stop browsing for a second. Listen to this last part. A profession of Christ without this deep love is mere talk, dry formality, and heavy, what's it say? Heavy drudgery. Somebody wrote, so everybody's always asking the question online. Why are young people leaving? Why are young people leaving the church? Why? And we want to blame it on the moms and the dads, and we want to blame it on the world. Listen, the reason why I didn't leave is because I found a personal relationship with Jesus. Are you following? The reason why you are here is because you want that deep abiding relationship with Jesus. We leave. Religion is, uh, is a drudgery, it's a chore because we don't have that deep love. And when we acknowledge it, now we can fix it. When you don't acknowledge it and confess it, you're gonna keep doing it and you're gonna make religion a horrible thing. A profession of Christ without this deep love is mere talk, dry formality and heavy drudgery. Mm. It's serious, brothers and sisters. It's serious. Let's go further. So what, what must we do? How must we do it? Let me go, let me go a little bit further here. I wanna go to Jeremiah 29, 11. I wanna go to Proverbs 13, 15. Jeremiah 29, 11, you guys know this. And these, these, in order for our mindset to shift in this regard, our view of Jesus and what he desires for us has to be made more clear. That's the, to me, that's the only way to begin to shift the, shift the pattern of thinking in our brain because we think of God in a certain way. Like he's, I don't know. I don't know how you see him, but I know for me that, that we, I see him in a certain way and the more I look at his character in his word, the more I begin to understand what he's about. But before that, 
we make up all sorts of stuff about him. We make him. It's like I, it's 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 unfortunate. I, I guess that's the best word I could use. But the Bible says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. These are thoughts that God thinks towards towards us, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. That's God's thoughts towards us, thoughts of peace and not of evil. If you're in captivity and in sin, thoughts of peace and not of evil. That's how God looks at us. Are you going through a thing right now? Are you holding in your sin right now? Guess what? Guess what God thinks towards you? Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Have you been enslaved to a problem for many years? I'm telling you right now, you may be beating yourself up, but the Most High says, I have thoughts towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. He desires you even when you don't desire yourself. This is liberating, friends. It's, it's interesting because, you know, when you, uh, when you have... Uh, persons in your life that you love and they don't necessarily love you back the way you think they should love you back they don't communicate it to you the way you think you should receive it you start feeling away about these things your value starts going down you, you start beating yourself up a little bit because the people that know you best don't love you most so you start you start going through a process in your mind but when you remember that the most high loves you no matter what when you remember that the Most High has not forsaken you and not left you, it brings peace to your mind and to your soul. When you see the tokens of his love throughout your week, when you're looking for him, you will find him if you search for him with everything that you have. But you say, I don't have much. That's fine. He said everything that you have. So if you don't have much, you just use that. That's enough. <laughs> it's enough proverbs chapter 13 look at this now proverbs proverbs chapter 13 verse 15 be careful here proverbs 13 15 notice what the bible says did i write that right yep proverbs 13 15 says god i say good understanding giveth favor but the way of the transgressor is hard. I'll read it again. Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Now, why did I read that? Because God wants you happy. God wants you happy. Trust me when I say to you, his desire is for you to be happy, to be full of joy, to be full of peace, but when we transgress his instruction, life is harder than necessary. Now, you say, Andre, I get, you know, people have hard times in their lives. Yes, and you can be a Christian and have a hard time in your life, just consider Job, okay? But that's not what I'm talking about right here, right now. What I'm talking about right here, right now is your happiness is contingent upon your faithfulness to what God has asked you to do. You will not find lasting eternal happiness in rebellion against his instruction. 
even though you think if I eat this or I watch this or I do this, I'm going to be happy in this moment. Ultimately, that disobedience will cause unnecessary pain and sadness, which you will perpetuate over and over again until you yield to what God has asked you to do. Does that make sense? That I want you to think in your mind, God has your happiness in mind. God has your peace of mind in mind. God has your sanity in mind. Just because things are going crazy all around you, it's very possible that that craziness around you is designed to help you know not to depend upon everything around you. God wants you to be happy and have peace of mind. But you must be consecrated to him. You must be willing to give him everything. Now we're going to be winding this up. We're coming here to the end. Many are inquiring, how am I to make the surrender of myself to God? Now, brothers and sisters, we're about to go over some science. How am I to make the surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power in slavery to doubt and controlled by the habits of your life. Friends, if that's not describing you, if that's not describing me, I don't know what is. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. In other words, you are a slave to that which is bringing damnation. That's what it's saying. Watch. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. Are you reading that with me? I have felt that way. I know you have felt this way. Then these words of hope are written. But you need not despair. Oh, what a good phrase. Uh, reading all that before, uh, morally weak, uh, slavery to doubt, controlled by habits, uh, promise and resolutions like ropes of sand, can't control your thoughts, can't control your impulses, can't control your actions, broken promises, weak confidence. I feel like I'm lost. Sentence says, you need not despair. What you need to understand, what do I need to understand? Is the true force of the wheel. What? What I need to understand is the true force of the wheel. Brothers and sisters, we're about to come to some deep biblical spiritual science right now. What you need to understand is the true force of the wheel. Interesting. What is it that I need to know about the true force of the wheel? You mean if I understand the true force of the wheel, everything else that I read to you prior to will not be holding over you that you can have victory and walk in consecration and dedication to God? Yes. Yes. So let's hop to it. What does it say? This is the governing power in the nature of man. What's the governing power in the nature of man? The true force of the will. The power of decision. Uh-oh, 
So notice the word that is used, will, and then power of decision or choice. Everything depends on the, the, on the right action of the will. God has given to men, it, God has given to men, it is theirs to exercise. What is, what is theirs to exercise? The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. Friends, wait, 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 wait. It said you cannot give of your affections of yourself to God. So you cannot force yourself to say you love God and make yourself love God. It doesn't work that way. Are you following what I'm saying? Like this whole thing is a supernatural thing. I, the, the, the very science of this thing comes down to a choice. The exercise of the wheel. All right, let's go back. Let's go back. Watch this. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections. But what can you do? But you can choose to serve him. Mm. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thus, your whole nature will be brought under the control of the spirit of Christ. Your affections will be centered upon him. Your thoughts will be in harmony with him. Now, friends, this is Steps of Christ, page 47, paragraph one. I'm going to give you an assignment. Go back and read that paragraph again. Meditate on it. Ask God, what does that mean? Everything depends on the right action of the will, the power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. Huh. It reminds me of the quote that I read the other day, Christ Object Lessons 159, paragraph three. The quote says, take my heart for I cannot give it. It is your property. Keep it for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me from myself. <laughs> huh? Are you understanding? You cannot make yourself be a Christian, but you can choose to be one. And you can choose to put your will on the side of God's will, and then God will work his way in your life. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ crucified lives in my flesh. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's a real Bible verse. That is a real experience for the children of God. And here it's written in such a manner. So you can see it. This is what it looks like. It's your choice. It's very strange. In the present world we have now, people are afraid of, of people having choice. So they're going to force your will to do different things. This is weird. This is a weird world. Last couple of ones here. There are many who desire to be Christians, but they won't be Christians. Hope won't get it done for you, my friends. Desires for goodness and holiness are right as far as they go. But if you stop here, they will avail nothing. 
Many will be lost while hoping and desiring to be Christian. They do not come to the point of yielding the will to God. Friends, if you don't, if you don't get anything else, I said, listen, the main point of this presentation is to tell you that you cannot force yourself to obey God. You must choose to put your will on the side of the word. And as you put your will on the side of the word, your will becomes invincible, indomitable, because God himself is willing in you to work and do. But as long as you have control of the will and you're trying to be Christian with the will, you're going to crash and burn. Give him your will. Let him take control of the will of your life. Give him permission. And when you give him permission, my friends, you're going to realize that you say you gave him permission, and at times you realize you took the will back. The, the way that you enter into this relationship is that you spend the time in fellowship and communion. As you're walking through your day, you keep that communion open, and you're, you're willing, and you're beholding, and it's going to become all natural to you versus... I'm going to eat right. I'm going to dress right. I'm going to go to church on time. I'm going to do this. Ah, ah, and now you're angry. <laughs> and that's not the point of Christianity. That's not the point of how God works. He wants an open, honest, fair relationship with you. No force involved. Only your choice. They do not come to the point of yielding to the will to God. They do not choose. They do not choose. They do not choose to be Christian. You must choose to be a Christian. You must allow God to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Help. Definition by Webster says, help to give assistance or support, to make more pleasant or bearable, to improve or relieve, to rescue or save, to benefit, promote, to change for the better. God will help you, my friends. God will help you. He will help you. You stumble and you fall, it's okay. He's helping you. It's okay. He wants to help you. The question is, will you let him help you? If you're willing to let him help you, just type yes in the chat. Type yes in the comments. You're willing to allow God to help you. You and your problems, you and your unique issues. You're willing to let God help you. You do this. God will do a supernatural work, brothers and sisters. A supernatural work, not a theoretical work. We're talking about, a, I don't want theoretical Christianity anymore, man. Did somebody come and argue about the Sabbath with me? I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. I mean, however that works for you, my brother. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you on doctrine. If you want to know, I'll walk you through it. I just want to love you. I want to respect you. I'm not going to beat you up with the Bible and prove to you that the Sabbath at the same time become a dragon. No. If you want to know, I'll tell you. If you don't want to know, I can't force my will upon you. I want to be like Jesus. I want his will, his perfect will, to be worked out in my life. And my friends, do not be discouraged if you stumble and fall. His arms are open wide. 
The doors are wide open. And he's like, look, come and I will help. Man, he's been alive forever. You've been alive for a little bit of time compared to his existence. And he's all right with you coming to, coming to him when you stumble and when you fall. Let's pray together. Father, it is our privilege to be able to call you our father. You see us. There's nothing here from your eyes. You desire us, even though you see us for what we really are. What love. What grace, what mercy. Lord, tonight, as we have heard those scriptures and we have heard inspiration, we beg of you to come nearer to us still that we will learn to hate evil and love good, that we will submit our wills to your divine will, that we will find joy in that which is good and hatred for that which is not good. Please be with our families. Help us to be a light to them. But even more than us being a light to them, Father, may they find their own personal walk with you. We pray for a supernatural intervention on the behalf of the ones that we love. That they will learn to love you more than anything else in this world. That it won't be forced or contrived. But it'll be genuine love. Help us to reflect this love in our own experience, we pray. Teach us how to submit our will to you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. My friends, it's been a pleasure to be with you this evening. God bless you. Uh, steps, oh, it was Steps of Christ, page 47, paragraph 1. Uh, but you can read that whole chapter uh, called Consecration consecration you're welcome thank you family for coming out tonight blessings on you enjoy your sabbath spend that time with the lord you're welcome sister glenda rachel you're welcome carter family brother perry you're welcome brother damien arlene my boy kev god bless you guys have a wonderful night This concludes another episode of The Gospelpreneur. Be sure to subscribe and share with your friends so we can all grow together. Until next time, be the abundance and be blessed.